This podcast is brought to you by our patrons. To help support the show, visit patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow. This is your beer, liquor, and other beverage news for the week of April 16th, 2021. Top breweries by volume this time. Scotland is mad at a Canadian for trying to make scotch in Canada. Yeah, that follows. Well, welcome to the new Holland Hour. But there probably isn't any beer left. And Arrogant Bastard Whiskey? All this and more on Have a Drink News. Have a drink news, a show where we cover the week's popular news about what you drink. I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. And I'm Christopher Walker, and welcome to episode 100. Mm, oh, yes. good lord. <laughs> yes, episode 100 of uh, of the news. Yes, of the news show specifically. But yeah, so, that's kind of a speaking, thing. Since speaking of that, let's yes, get into some news. Yes. That's uh, how you celebrate. Yeah, by continuing on. Um, well, we have uh, another, I guess, I want to say listicle. I guess it's not really a listicle, but whatever. Um, the annual listicle yeah. that we all wait for from the Brewers Association. Yeah, so uh, this is breaking down America's top 50 largest breweries by volume. Uh, this is from 2020, obviously. Uh, so every year, Brewers Association releases their list of the top 50 breweries uh, based on overall craft beer sales for the previous year. So um, took a list, look at last year's list to compare the growth, some of our favorite craft breweries in the country, and uh, they broke down some major changes, um, the, the, being this article. Uh, as a reminder, the Brewers Association defines craft breweries as having produced less than 6 million barrels of beer each year and being controlled by or having less than 25% ownership by an outside entity that is not itself a craft brewer. <laughs> so always has to be restated. Yeah. Always. I got to keep that in mind, but wait, what if all the craft breweries each own 25% of each other? <laughs> then the world implodes. Then it's a hellscape. <laughs> okay. I was going to say, I don't know if the math works on that, but yeah. And then it divides by zero. Um, so what about some of the changes? <laughs> yeah. So because uh, that, that nice little that little sticking point might have might have caused some changes after this past year. Yes. Mm. So uh, due to ownership changes, <laughs> New Belgium no longer falls under the craft designation as they're now owned <laughs> by Kieran's subsidiary. Gasp. The devil, you say? Yes. And uh, Dogfish Head also no longer appears as its own entity after its merger with Boston Beer, uh, mostly after, known for Sam Adams. After they became Boston, uh, Boston Fish Head Beer. <laughs> Double gasp. Why can't they do that, actually? That's a horrible name, but I want it. Uh, because of those two omissions in this, uh, this year's list, there were several breweries near the top that rose in the rankings last year as compared to 2019, of course. 
uh, including Sweet Rod- Sweetwater, <laughs> who rose three spots to number 11. Nuglaris, who <laughs> two, a- two guys leave. They go up three spots. <laughs> yeah. Who else did they kill? Like, like what? Uh, yeah, so Nuglaris, who is up to 12 from number 15. Which it still has to be pointed out. Nuglaris only distributes within their state. <laughs> they do that's, not go outside of Wisconsin. Like that, it, that's that's it. a lot of people going to Wisconsin just to get beer. Mm. I mean, I would. Uh, Look, yeah. there's a there's a plan. <laughs> uh, so Abita, who rose five spots to number nineteen. Uh, Georgetown Brewing, who continues uh, their meteoric rise up five spots to number 28. Uh, and then, of course, um, Canarchy, Leapfrog, Bell's Brewery by one <sighs> spot. Uh, when considering the amount of volume being cranked out at those top spots, that's a significant shift, they note. Um, yes, that's true. Two significant risers came from Trogues, who rose seven spots to number 20 on the list. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, Trogues does, like, uh, Nectar is really good, mm-hmm. and Nimble Giant, like, both of those beers yeah. are awesome. And Three Floyds also rose seven spots. Because Three Floyds. Yeah. Well, uh, they're at number 24. So, uh, and they, they note, this article notes that that's interesting for a few reasons, because First, they continued their momentum from the previous year, where they rose eight spots, and then Three Floyds decided to close their brew pub during the pandemic, choosing to focus solely on distribution, which obviously did pretty well. Yeah, it's <laughs> open. If you follow them on social media, you're constantly seeing they're like, "Hey, this random state in the Northeast, we're now pushing distribution into your state." So they've opened like since all this started in 2020. They've, I think they've ended up into like seven or eight new states mm. with distribution. And also it's like they've done a lot more online sales stuff. That's I've done big orders and driven up to the tap room just to pick up orders. And it's like, the tap room isn't open. They won't even let you in the building. So, yeah. Um, so Carl Strauss saw the largest ranking decline, dropping... Um, from the list completely after last year's 39 ranking. Is that so, is that technically ooh. an infinite loss? You went yeah. from being something to nothing? <laughs> I would think so, yeah. Jeez. Uh, meanwhile, Rising Breweries, Brewdog, number 41, Toplink Goliath, number 43, and Fremont, number 45, oh, and Creature Comforts, number 48, immediately became uh, regional players to watch, and, and assuming you weren't already watching them. So, it's it's um, weird to think of Brewdog as a regional player, but, but they, they are, are they are right yeah. now. That I just mean like because well, the Scotland thing. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. there, they're pretty big. Yeah. Well, here they are. Like for our region, they're massive because their U.S. headquarters is in Columbus. They've got the Cincinnati tap room. I think they have an Indianapolis. Like they have, they have the tri-state like on lockdown with breweries and tap rooms. Like they mm-hmm. are yeah. everywhere. So we're not going to go through the like literally every single one of these on the list um, because yeah. fifty, uh, <laughs> but just <clears throat> so just an interesting uh, top five, let's say off the do top ten. Well, I'm thinking we've... like top five of each because there's oh. a. Oh, saying, the, there's so many like just to know <laughs> who's in these. I know. I know. So, okay, I, uh, I'm just looking at it going like, no, there's a simple acronym you can use to to remember all top fifty, which is <laughs> Exactly. Sure. 
That gets you to Close. 25, then you get to do the next word. <laughs> no. I think, I don't know. Uh, okay, do, so can, we can just name them real quick. Uh, just all 50. Start at number one and go to 50. Okay. I'm sorry, you guys. So, uh, <laughs> we don't have to talk about each brewery. Of, Everyone's going to know the name. Of craft or of overall? Craft. Okay. Let, let's just focus on craft. Everyone knows overall is going to be... Everything else. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so... All right, let's just do this. Yingling. Duh. Number two is Boston Beer. Duh. <laughs> Number three is Sierra Nevada. Duh. Okay, okay you can stop. Number four is... Uh, do. I don't know how to say that. That guy. That one's less duh, but they're always in the top ten. Number five is Gambrinus. Never heard of it. Question mark. Oh. uh, (laughs) Shiner, Texas, though. That makes me think of... I have no idea. Okay. Uh, Canarchy is number six. When it has one, two, three, four, five, six states listed. Yeah. Number seven, Bells. Number eight, Artisanal Brewing Ventures. Number nine is Stone. Number ten, Deschutes. Number eleven, Sweetwater. Number twelve, New Glarus. <laughs> number thirteen is Matt Brewing Company. <laughs> All right, that's the best name. Sure. Uh, I, you know this what? Is, I, this I, I now want to open up one that's just Dave. Dave Brewing. <laughs> For no reason. Uh, number Bit, fourteen Bit is Brewing. Bro- <laughs> yeah. Number fourteen is Brooklyn Brewing. Number fifteen is Harpoon. Number 16 is Stevens Point Brewing, uh, another another Wisconsin one. Number 17 is Odell. 18 is, I have no idea, Minnes. Is that how you say that? Sure. Out of Wisconsin again. Uh, number 19 is Abita. Number 20 is Trogues. Number 21, Summit. Uh, number 22, Great Lakes. 23 is August Shell Brewing. 24 is Three Floyds. 25 is Rheingeist. That was whoop, whoop. Uh, Number 26 is Alaskan Brewing. Damn. 27 is <laughs> yeah, C- Gordon Biersch Brewing. Uh, number 28 is Georgetown Brewing. 29 is Allagash. 30 is Kings and Convicts Brewing. Slash oh, Ballast. Ballast Point. Yeah, they're the ones that bought Ballast Point. I actually couldn't yeah. even read the Ballast Point part. Like, didn't they buy it? Yes, they did. <laughs> yeah, it turns out. Uh, 31 is Long Trail Brewing. 32 is that word. Uh, Nagra- Nar- Narragansett. Yeah. That word. So uh, they're, they're, that's out of Rhode Island. Number 33 is Ninkasi. Uh, number 34 is 21st Amendment. 35, Flying Dog. Woo. 36 Drinking is Surly. Drinking a raging Surly. bitch right now. <laughs> yeah, Surly Brewing. 37 is Rogue Ales. 38 is Lost Coast. 39 is Revolution. 40 is Modern Times Beer. Whoop whoop to Revolution as well. 41, Brewdog. 42 is St. Arnold. 43, Toppling Goliath. 44, Two Roads Brewing. 45 is Fremont. 46, Shipyard. 47 is Left Hand Brewing. 48 is Creature Comforts. 49, uh, Montauk Brewing. And 50 is New Holland. New Holland made the top 50. Yeah. I'm a little surprised that they're like at the very end, but still. I mean, we'll get to why they're at the very end later, maybe. <laughs> True. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, uh, and then uh, we won't get into the top overall, but 
one could imagine who the top like five or ten are. Yeah, the top <laughs> the top six. Yeah, are, are, all, are all ones you expect. A B <gasps> Molson Constellation Heineken Paps Diageo. <laughs> like, yeah. But it is interesting when you look down through there now, thinking because oh, New Belgium founders <laughs> like all these others that you're used which to, which are not uh, not yeah, craft, not craft. All right. Well, you know, at least they're not tossing lawsuits around. No one's getting sued like they are up in Canada. I mean, they are, but uh, Stone hasn't made any moves on some of those in a while. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, apparently uh, the SWA, or the Scotch Whiskey Association, uh, is uh, upset with a British Columbian distiller uh, and maybe lawsuits are, are flying around uh, coming from whiskey, the Whiskey Wash. Recently, a trade body known as the Scotch Whiskey Association has filed a uh, lawsuit against uh, Malcoloni Brewery and Distillers, uh, Brewers and Distillers, uh, claiming they have violated Scotch Whiskey's geographical indig- uh, indig- indication. Sorry, I about said indignation because of how upset they are. <laughs> By using words in the label uh, and marketing that are associated with the country. Uh, 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 Specifically, the SWA is taking umbrage with the words uh, Caledonian, uh, Malcoloni, Island Whiskey, and the word Glen. I mean, look, you can't copyright the word Glen. It's my uncle's name. That's his... It's Gaelic for lake in the sense that Scotch right. wants, the, wants a copyright on it. Uh, well, uh, Grammy McElhoney's owner, uh, owner of uh, McElhoney Caledonian Distillery and Twa Dog, uh, Dogs Brewery uh, in British Columbia, Canada, filed, uh, finds a lawsuit and litigious intentions of the SWA to be a sort of David and Goliath situation where a $6 billion scotch uh, whiskey industry is coming after the craft distillery sector in North America. And it's at that point I have to wonder, what did you do wrong? So it is to be said, um, the uh, Scotch Whiskey Association is known for coming after small U.S. distilleries for using any kind of language that could even hint at it being a Scotch they, or from Scotland, or there was the little distillery in Virginia mm-hmm. if they sued into the ground. If you can't get a job as a lawyer working for uh, for Disney, these people would be a good good second choice in terms of or Stone. Or <laughs> no, if you were a lawyer at Stone, you would probably talk some people off a ledge. Um, it's like, sir, I, if I, if you want to keep paying me, you have to stop. No, sue them all. (laughs) Sue everyone. That's his, that's, that's his secret. He's always suing. Um, sorry. Anyway, um, but no, if I hear someone phrase themselves as a David and Goliath sort of situation, I start going, you, hold on. No. Yeah. No. What did you do? You know you did something wrong. Uh, but, you know, they, they are overly litigious, so maybe 
maybe it's not not that big of a thing. Uh, anyway, he says his single malt whiskey garner garnering the World Whiskey Award for best Canadian single malt and world's best peated new make has put a target on his distillery. And there's a bit of notoriety now, winning multiple awards, and our whiskeys will do that. So let's t- you know if you scroll down in the the story, you can see uh, see a picture of the oh oh that's ah. the bottle. Yeah, that looks just like a like that that box looks like it should be like a, a yep. like a Glenfiddich or a Glen Meringue style that box. Looks... And then that bottle looks like like that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like normally I wouldn't want to be on someone's side, but I look at that and I go, Oh yeah, no, you want them to think that's scotch. And then if you what look is... at it, si- island single malt whiskey and little you know, little words in the bottle and I go yeah, that's gonna make you think highly. Like, I I don't want to be on their side, but I'd the, probably the at least. Things, like, come on. The three <laughs> things that jump out of you are Caledonian, Invermale, and Island Single Malt Whiskey, and it's immediately like, uh, it, like it just looking at this, looking at the box and the bottle, I would assume it's Scotch, especially with the Island Single Malt Whiskey. Oh yeah. But that's like if you're just glancing, you realize it's not saying Isla. It's island, island single yes. malt whiskey. Yes. It took me a second to realize it did say island because I glanced at it like, oh. Mm. You're like, wait, there are more more letters than there should be on that. Yeah. Uh, well, with nearly 2,000 craft distilleries in North America, on the North American continent, uh, Malcolone says that the SWA is better off looking to collaborate than litigate. For goodness sakes, the scotch industry is living in a bubble. There's so many craft distilleries going, doing their thing. The best thing the SWA can do right now is to coordinate with the craft industry rather than trying to hold back the raising tide of Scotch, Scottish-sounding names. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so it's not a f- new phenomenon. He pointed out that Jameson Irish Whiskey is named after its founder, the Scotsman John Jameson, uh, who, emerged, who immigrated to Ireland in 1780. Uh In a written statement, the SW says it consistently takes action in our global markets to prevent the use of Scottish indicators of origin on a whiskey, which is not Scotch whiskey. Uh, This is vital to protecting both Scotland's national drink and ensuring consumers across the world are clear about whether or not they are buying a whiskey that is produced in Scotland. Uh, Didn't we just run almost the reverse of this last episode? Or am I just imagining, and we all talked about it, the uh, the Japanese whiskey thing, where they were like the Japanese whiskey association is all mad because distilleries are trying to sell Scotch as though it were Japanese whiskey, um, and they're all mad about that. And now you have the Scotch whiskey association mad because you have American distilleries selling American whiskey as though it were like. Bottling it and presenting it as though it's this other thing, even though it's not. Right. Uh, it wasn't last episode, but I feel like we have spoken about something similar to this. But also, we've we've talked about the SWA dropping down lawsuits before, and mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, admittedly, like you know, as far as the name, I mean, it's the dude's name. Like uh, he can't he can't help that. But. But even like the the Caldonian is his name. No, but Malcoloni is. Like even the design, though, that's the thing. Is, that, Malcoloni yeah. is his first. Is his is his last name? It's M A. It's M A Y E R. 
Sorry, it's too close to baloney, and I keep trying not to. <laughs> well, it's not close to baloney, but you know what I mean. Yeah. It's a matter of time, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he says he's never used the term scotch on his own whiskeys, but is proud to celebrate our heritage, including Scottish ancestry and the stories of our families. Uh, he firmly believes he has the right to do uh, to do it in a way that celebrates both his history and reputation of a leading Vancouver Island craft distillery. Um, I mean, yeah, and this just kind of goes on with them going back and forth, fighting on what their, you know, each of the little Legally, terms of some like, of this, but. I want to say looking at it and the way I don't, I'm not for certain how the law is written, but you look at it and it seems like he went over all their advertising, all the packaging, everything with a fine tooth legal comb to make sure nowhere does it say anything to actually hint that it's from Scotland, but everything on that packaging and the shape of the, everything just exudes that it's scotch. Yeah. Everything about it is to make you think it's scotch. But he can sit back and go, but no, we didn't say that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's the worst thing. (laughs) It's also, uh, apparently it's carefully matured at a premium X bourbon cask, which what else gets aged in bourbon casks? Scotch. Everything really. But yeah, pretty much. You know what else gets aged in bourbon casks, Chris? Dragon's milk. Dragon's milk. So yeah, welcome to the the new Holland. Power Dragon's hour? milk corner hour, where uh, <laughs> they decided to apparently um, finally smoke all their beers. <laughs> I oh. was unaware that this happened. Uh, so w- there's a follow up. This is a follow up story. To the, I missed the initial story when it happened, but New Holland Brewing Company is once again brewing beer at its Holland production facility. Had after, they? I mean, uh, what what happened? Why were they not brewing? Was it was it COVID? It was COVID, wasn't it? No, there was a fire that damaged the building on oh. February twenty first. The damage was contained to one area of the brew house, but it did set them back considerably. Um, it is in a statement. They said it's taken more than a month to repair the damage, clean the facility and get our equipment back up to the standard we require for producing the beer of the highest possible quality. Hmm. So yeah, that's not good. Uh, electrical fire damaged one wall and the roof of the brew house repairs, which took five weeks to complete were finished the, uh, this week when the story came out and I'm not going to look for the date the story ran. Just know it was a few weeks ago. Company what said... I, uh, what I will say is, Chris, that the roof... The roof. It was the roof fire. was on fire. <laughs> the fire and uh, <laughs> ensuing repairs impacted don't, beer Don't production. give me that look, Brittany. You knew it was coming. I know. Uh, there will be shortages of some New Holland beers, while others will be out of stock altogether. So, yeah, yeah, you're going to be feeling the effects of these. Uh, beers affected by the fire include Tangerine Space Machine, which is actually pretty good, uh, Hazy River, and the newly released Variety Pack. Uh, <laughs> That's a shame. Our beer production came to a halt for more than three weeks, but thankfully we were able to package all the beer that was in the tanks. 
So yeah, their uh, co-founder Brett Vanderkamp said the company is doing everything in their power to brew and restock these brands in a timely manner. We hope that our customers can be patient with us over the next few weeks and use this as an opportunity to sample another New Holland brew that they haven't tried before that's been sitting on that shelf for a while. <laughs> he didn't say that. That's just that's kind just, of yeah. the implied there. So, yeah, but uh, we're lucky that uh, they've announced, I think like yesterday, the next of the Dragon's Milk Reserve, because guess what? It had already been brewed and was resting peacefully in barrels, hopefully in an adjacent building not affected by this. Nice and <laughs> nice and safe in its, its protective cocoon. Yes, uh, the next uh, announced one is going to be Double Barrel Vanilla. Is going to be the next Dragon's Milk Reserve. Not exactly sure what all that's going to bring us. Well, you know, I don't know what the double barrel exactly means. Hmm. It was put into more than one barrel. <sighs> Thanks for that, Bob. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm, I'm here for... I mean, we, we I would be lost. Well, in more... <laughs> in more... <laughs> Dragon's Milk News. Um, They've done a lot of weird things. So they did a partnership with Wolverine, not not the uh, mutant. For a second, I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) All I could hear when you said that, Chris, was da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I was like, yes. Yes, the X-Men. Oh. So this is an older, a little bit of an age story, finally barrel-aged, because it says, it's March. It's been a year since the COVID-19 pandemic started uh, to have an inescapable impact in the United States. It's been a difficult year for people who work in the service industry. In response, Wolverine has pulled together a new boot aimed at helping bartenders across the country. Still can't quit picturing (laughs) Logan just like, hey, bub. Let me get you some shoes. Yeah. It's not too often that boots and beer come together. Nonetheless, Wolverine has partnered with fellow Michiganders at New Holland Brewing to make a limited edition boot based on the brewery's Dragon's Milk Bourbon Barrel Age Stout. The boot slinging company will be donating 10% of sales from the Wolverine 1,000 mile Dragon's Milk boot to the USBG Foundation's Bartender Emergency Assistance Program. Just yeah. picturing Wolverine popping a dragon's milk with his claws now. Nah, Look, I know really I should be talking about these about these boots, but instead, all I can think of now is is the mutant. Mm. The boot was created with beer in mind. Little details throughout the boot attempt to evoke the beer. Uh, suede mimics the texture of bourbon barrels, and the color comes <laughs> close to the dark hue of the stout. There's also a removable metal Mm. fob in the shape of a dragon from the Dragon's Milk label. The 1,000-mile Dragon's Milk boots will be released on April 6th, but are up for pre-sale now. The pair is going to run you a not insignificant $400, but you got to remember 10% of that's going to a really good cause. Yeah, But But you can make yourself feel a little better. Remember, it's going to the good cause, yeah. So, honestly, I like it. I I mean, I I like them, too. They look... They look good. I all hate all the, I can the, think of, though, is that I better be able to walk 1,000 miles, and then I would walk maybe 1,000 more. Probably just could, to be, those look... Just to be the man 
who got some dragon's milk. <laughs> See, you're making a shtick, but you're saying that, and I look, and I'm like, no, the soles of those look really <laughs> durable. Like, you could probably get some good mileage out of those. But I am not a fan of the fact that they come, like, pre-aged. They look like an old pair, like, worn leather. Yeah. And I'm like, I just, I want boots that I'm going to beat the hell out of. <laughs> to make they them don't old look that like comfortable, them. honestly. But yeah, you can get you some Wolverine uh, New Holland boots, and uh, so that's we're gonna continue what, on. What uh, if New Holland. what if the Wolverine boots were were bright yellow and blue, with <laughs> like black with like like black little like they're missing out is what the you know. But I would think Marvel would be suing somebody at that point. <laughs> Marvel wouldn't. All right, uh, Disney on the other hand, oh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, New Holland wasn't done with a fire and boots. Um, apparently, <laughs> their production was not uh, stifled by the fire too much because they have now decided to introduce uh, bourbon barrel seltzer. It's Dragon's but- Milk. It's called. It's in the Dragon's Milk branding. It's called Dragon's Share. No. <laughs> In just two short years, hard seltzer has boomed and become significant uh, to the alcohol industry to the point to where the market is oversaturated with hard seltzers. And to be said in that, we turned down stories for this week with Stone releasing their own hard seltzer. And then there was the Warheads hard seltzer. Like, How is there not a gif already of the Oprah thing? Like, you get a seltzer and you get a seltzer. <laughs> Nobody so can. these days, if you're going to enter the hard seltzer game and compete with the White Claws and Trulies and Bud Light seltzers of the world, you're going to have to stand out. For one Michigan brewery, that means aging it in bourbon barrels. New Holland Brewing Company, perhaps best known for its year-round bourbon barrel-aged stout, Dragon's Milk, has unveiled Dragon's Share, a line of bourbon barrel seltzers featuring original orange, cherry, and blackberry flavors. Six packs of orange and cherry, as well as a variety 12-pack, also featuring Blackberry and Original, will hit store shelves this summer across Michigan. Each 12-ounce can is 90 calories apiece, uh, 4.6% alcohol by volume, gluten-free, and zero sugar. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in the Latin that is on top of these cans, and I've been trying to translate it. <laughs> Well, uh, aged in freshly dumped bourbon barrels, the premium hard seltzer is a true innovation in flavor with pure water extracting bourbon and subtle flavor notes of vanilla, caramel, and spice that were locked away in the walls of the charred American oak. New Holland Brewing Company says in a news release, the result is a refreshing and exciting new... It's all advertising. <laughs> and yeah. New Year's Eve, by then, we have to get a hold of some of these, like even if I have to go to New- Michigan because uh, our New Year's Eve like dragon's milk thing has to include these. They buckle up because New Year's Eve is going to be rough this year. <laughs> oh, oh no! That's I mean that's not saying a lot. Uh, okay, really. uh, uh, oh, right. Uh, on a scale of one to last year, how rough? Because alcohol uh, wise, there's a different thing. The year before uh, that was kind of. Well, okay. Let's get into exactly what these are because um, Twitter kind of exploded briefly over all this, and I will lend all credit uh, if you're if you were in our uh, Discord, you would already be keyed in on this. But uh, if you don't follow Brett Coleman Baker, you need to. <laughs> he is a gem to follow on Twitter, 
and it like he he lets it all out there when it comes to anything a beer industry related. Like he just lays into it on Twitter. But he brought this up. Uh, so this is interesting for a couple of reasons. A bourbon barrel-aged hard seltzer, and he says, let's investigate. Statement of identity is bourbon whiskey with carbonation. Says it on the can. That's what it says on the bottom. This means, or, yeah, this means this is, in fact, just a whiskey soda and not a seltzer. This is not <laughs> beer. <laughs> this is all marketing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it, yeah. They, they're not even seltzers. Like the seltzer is just like I'm, it's gonna be part of the branding. I'm sure I don't know how New Holland would defend that exactly, but it's not even actually a seltzer. And technically, in all the things they say, they that it's not seltzer that was barrel aged. They say it's water. <laughs> Everything says that water was aged in freshly dumped bourbon barrels. So it's you like know, so you so you rinsed the barrels. Do you think? Do you think <laughs> Maker's Mark it? is just? Do you think Maker's Mark is just kicking themselves, thinking like, if only we had tried to market our lower alcohol <laughs> makers as, as seltzer. Oh, the things we could have gotten away with. Threw, threw some carbonation in there. Yeah. But yeah, and what's the Latin? Is the Latin like this is not technically seltzer? <laughs> <laughs> no, according to Google, it's uh, household he water breaks. Yeah, that checks out. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say like it's 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 not a good translation. Uh, I'm not even sure what kind of dog Latin it would be to to get close to what they're trying to do, but essentially these are watered down canned cocktails. Yeah, but uh, New Year's Eve, if we're able to score us some of these, uh, you'll be able to tune in and hear us try them. <laughs> So I somehow don't imagine it's going to be. I mean, there'll be that. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, speaking of whiskey. Speaking of mistakes. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so we talked a lot about Stone, but uh, they do have that offshoot brand that they did called Arrogant Bastard Ale. Well, it's considered a legendary beer among many, helping in a large way to put popular mid-sized brewery Stone on the map some years ago. It only made sense, with the rise of craft whiskey in recent years, that it would be made into a whiskey. Because, why not? The new Arrogant Bastard Whiskey, according to those behind it, is the result of a team-up between Arrogant Consortia, a wholly-owned imprint of Stone and Foundry Distilling Company, an Iowa distillery that has a program called the Brewer Distiller Alliance Initiative. Sure. The latter's program aims to work with outstanding breweries across the nation to produce remarkable, distinctive whiskeys from their beer recipes. Wait, what? Uh, The breweries produce the wort using their recipes, and Foundry then ferments, distills, and barrel ages the spirit to create whiskey. It's like when I was trying to explain to my dad how beer was made. And he was like, that sounds a lot like how bourbon is made. Because he's been watching like Moonshiners and stuff. I was like, it is. They just don't do the step of distilling. Like once you got your, he's like, yeah, that explains why on Moonshiners. They call it sometimes like, this is my beer. It's like, okay. yeah. Yeah, it's basically just beer. They haven't let, you know, age right. Mm. <laughs> uh, well, 
the way it worked between the two is that the whiskey started as mash produced uh, from arrogant consortia in Escondido. The notorious ales from unfermented worry was then tr- worry was then transported to be refined at Foundry Distilling uh, in the historic Valley Junction area of West Des Moines, Iowa. This whiskey has been aged for 26 months in 30-gallon new charred American oak barrels and has notes of citrus, herbal tea, and allspice with a finish that consists of a warming, bright citrus zest. Citrus zest in a whiskey. Interesting. Zest. Yeah. Um, it's it's not fully clean. <laughs> wow. I was going to say, it's um, getting you to uh, getting you already closer to that uh, old-fashioned territory. Mm, that's yeah that's that's true uh so arrogant bastard whiskey is currently available for purchase in limited quantities in iowa and at the foundry distilling company while beer and spirit enthusiasts in california can expect to get their hands on the whiskey on april 20th it is bottled at 97 proof considered an american malt whiskey it also follows the footsteps of previous brewery distillery collaborations between foundry and the likes of boulevard and peace tree brewing so uh, unless you live in Iowa or or uh, around the Escondido, California area, it, it sucks to be you, <laughs> <laughs> and you want it. Speaking of things it sucks to be, uh, French winemakers not having a good time. They typically don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, with being French and all. Uh, right. Now, anyway... Uh, one of France's biggest export industries is facing a devastating blow. This is coming from CNN Business. After unusually severe frost earlier this month damaged uh, damaged vineyards across the country, heaping pain on winemakers already reeling from, a ban- uh, from, from the pandemic and U.S. tariffs. The frost affected 80% of vineyards in France, uh, France's Ooh. primary wine growing area, according to the European Committee of Wine Companies. Uh, sorry, there's a second there where I just couldn't figure out what is a committee of companies? Okay. Uh, it's like maximum oof level. Yeah. Uh, this is expected to cause a yield loss, a yield loss ranging from 25% up to 50% in some regions. Wow. Uh, the destruction across the Rhone Valley, Bordeaux, Burgundy, Champagne, uh, Provence, and Loire Valley, Loire Valleys uh, said... Anna Colombo, president of uh, the Cornas Appalachian, a wine-growing area in the Rhone region. In some areas, there will be very few grapes this year, she said, adding that the frost in the Cornas was the worst in more than half a century. Hmm. Winemakers tried to keep temperatures up by lighting candles and braziers in the vineyard. In many cases, it was not enough to protect their, their budding vines. Think about that. Like there's a picture of them trying to like, they they've got like little cans of fire, like little coffee cans of fire just running it's down a, the. It's a field of like it's the whole vineyard, and then there's just fire everywhere, and it makes you very uneasy to yeah. see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, an important share of the harvest has been lost. It's too early to give a percentage estimate, but in case, in any case, a tra- is a tragedy for the wine growers uh, who have been hit," said Christophe Chateau. Director of uh, Communications for the Bordeaux Wine Council. Uh, 
The frost also threatens other crops, including beets and rapeseeds. According to the National uh, Federation of Farmers Union, the anguish is immense in vineyards, orchards, uh, and fields, uh, the organization said in a statement last week. So, not, not the best time. Uh, Especially so- if you like beet wine. Beat, beat wine. <laughs> <laughs> no, this yeah, is a. That's, that's horrible. Yeah, and it's like there's a uh, uh, quote here saying, "To you farmers who all over France fought tirelessly night after night to protect the fruits of your labor, I want to say we give you all of our support in this fight. Stand firm. We are at your side, and will remain so." Uh, this is from the French president Emmanuel Marcon on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, you just like they have more pictures of just like fires next to vineyards and it's just so messed up looking yeah uh the export of french wine and spirits uh yeah this is coming after the pandemic where the export of wine and spirits fell nearly 14 percent to uh one point uh, sorry 12.1 billion in 2020 the sales in the united states sampling 18 percent according to the federation of wine and spirits so it's not been a good time to be a french wine grower is there any yeah. industry where it's not been like a... So you had the pandemic, and then you had these other things that would have been awful on their own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if it's... Yeah, they're, have, they're trying to figure out, you know, kind of why it's it's been happening. The, the French have encountered near-record warmth in late March and early April. It was followed by a brutal Arctic outbreak in Europe during the Easter weekend. Uh Temperatures in the region went from 26 degrees Celsius, about 80 degrees Fahrenheit, to around minus 6 or 22 degrees Fahrenheit in less than a week. Jeez. Uh, although temperatures are closer to normal now, another cold outbreak is on the way. Uh, I mean, the damage is done if they had the you know the hard frosts hit. Like it, yeah, but there's there's some that weren't as affected, and, and then so that means there's going to be another if you know. Apparently, climate change has brought forward growing seasons in France and elsewhere, plans, uh, placing crops at a higher risk for damaging cold spells. So, because they can't grow, you know, trying to plant them earlier, and it's they it's when they have to begin to grow is that they are more fragile. Said Colombo, adding the temperature change has been affecting uh, the harvesting. Yeah, uh, did you see the uh, the Japanese cherry blossoms bloomed uh, weeks ahead of schedule mm. because mm. of climate change? Yeah. So, good times. So, Twenty twenty one, killing it so far. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a fun note to end on, I guess. But yeah, it's like, yeah we just had to end on a real, a real bummer of a note. <laughs> yeah, but you know, can't always be good news. No, unfortunately. <laughs> well, uh, you know. You can always turn, tune in if you're if you're watching live. Tune in tomorrow for our regularly scheduled programming, <laughs> where uh, things will probably be a little bit more joyful because we're gonna likely get raided. <laughs> so, be getting yay. getting back into those old world styles, getting in touch with uh, where everything started. Mm. Yep, and and like really just a, a tasting all around. I don't think we've had a good tasting for a minute. Um, so yeah, well, uh, we'd like to remind everyone this is, this is our news only show, of course, as we more or less just said, uh, we also do a weekly long form show discussing the science and history around what you drink. If you like what you hear and you want to support, have a drink, 
please go to patreon.com slash have a drink show. And uh, as I said, we'll be with the main show tomorrow. But for this show, we will see you in another couple of weeks. Once again, I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. And I'm Christopher Walker. And we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this broker. <laughs>